Well, praise the Lord. I'm a long ways away from home, and I miss my grandma. So you have to forgive me, but they are joining us there on Wichita. I am very grateful, and I am humbled that they would join and, and support their young people. I want to give great honor to my youth pastor, Brother Mike, and Sister Jamie. Uh, Brother Mike has been our youth pastor for probably five years, six years. And just last year, he started admitting that he was our youth pastor. So, Brother Mike and Sister Jamie, y'all are doing a fantastic job, and I give you honor. And I, I'm going to clear the, clear the air for just a second. I know I look 13, but I just turned 20 a couple months ago. And so I have a little bit of wisdom, but not much. And like they said... <laughs> Like they said, I might have been born at night, but I wasn't born last night. And I'm thankful for the great opportunity to be here before this great church, this great congregation. I give Brother Hillier to give him honor. I, uh, I'm just, I'm thankful to be a part of such a great church. Give honor to my bishop, my grandpa, Brother Cornwell, and I'm thankful that he shares his friends with his family. And he's got great friends. He's got great friends. I have a word from God tonight, and it's been very heavy on my heart. I just, God just gave it to me yesterday, so this is my first time preaching it. So you have to bear with me, and I'm going to practice on you a little bit tonight. And so, if we turn our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting... At verse 11, and I'm only going to read the first five words. And she vowed a vow. And she vowed a vow. Would you, would you say that with me? And she vowed a vow. A vow has many meanings. It, to some, a vow is a dedication to someone or something and to others, it's a promise to do a specific thing. And by, with the help of the Holy Ghost tonight, I want to preach on just a quick subject, a quick topic, an unbreakable vow. Would you lift your hands? Can we go to the Lord in, in prayer and let him lead this service? God, I thank you. God, I praise you. God, I worship you. God, I can feel your presence in this place. God, I can feel the chains that are being broken tonight. God, I can feel the anointing of the Lord falling in this place, God. Lord, you have your eyes on a young person tonight, God, that's been lonely, that's been isolated. Lord, they've been depressed. And God, this word is for that young person, God. Lord, I pray right now that you would join us in this room and that you would bring heaven to earth for just a little while, Lord. God, I thank you and I praise you and I love you. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. You see, a vow is, is a very important word to, to understand. It's a promise to do a very specific thing. But to God, a vow is much more than that. A vow to God is not written on a piece of paper or bought with money. But a vow to God was bought with the price of His blood. In Romans chapter 5, in verse number 6, it says, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus paid the ultimate price with His life. Because of the love that God had towards His creation, He fulfilled a vow on that cross. And because of that, we're able to enjoy church service tonight. Because of what He did on that cross, we're able to find grace in the eyes of a God who judges. We're able to find mercy in the eyes of a righteous God. You see, there are three types of vows that are mentioned in God's Word. The first vow that is mentioned is a vow of devotion. Devotion can be closely identified with faithfulness, with loyalty, with dedication, or even with allegiance. The second vow that we find in the Word of God is a vow of abstinence. Or in other words, the practice of abstaining from something. Or the practice of not doing or having something that is wanted or desired. The third vow we find in the Word of God is the vow of destruction. You see, vows are not something that is taken lightly. It is not a word that we can carelessly throw around, but when you make a vow, it is a token of your word. It is a prayer that reaches the throne room of God. And according to Numbers chapter 30 and verse number 2, it says, If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. Someone say, shall not. He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that which proceedeth out of his mouth. Vows are entirely voluntary. No one can force you to make a vow to someone or to something. But once that vow is made, it is regarded as compulsory. Or in other words, it is regarded as mandatory. And in Genesis 27 and 28, we find in these chapters a runaway Jacob. Jacob has just stolen Esau's blessing. And now Esau has said in his heart that he's going to kill his little brother no matter what. He's going to kill his brother if it is the last thing that he does. And Rebekah, the mother of the two boys, heard someone tell another about the plans of Esau. She was told of the thoughts that Esau had towards his little brother. She told Jacob, your brother, he's going to kill you. So I need you to flee towards my brother Laban's house until your brother's anger is turned away. And in Genesis 28 and verse 10, it says, And Jacob went out from Beersheba, and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place, and he tarried there all night, 
because the sun was set. And he took the stones of that place and he put them for his pillows and he laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. The dream that Jacob dreamed must have been a very detailed dream for he was able to tell that the angels were not going from heaven to earth, but the angels were going from earth to heaven. And behold, the Lord stood above it, and he said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. And the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and into thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad from the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee, in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God had remembered the covenant that he had made with Abraham. And attached to that covenant was a vow made by God. And behold, in verse 15, it says, I am with thee, and I will keep thee in all the places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. God makes a vow to Jacob that I'm going to be with you whithersoever thou goest. I'm going to be with you even in the wilderness. I'm, I'm going to be with you even when you're lonely. I, I'm going to be with you when you don't have any friends, when you don't have any family on your side. Jacob, I'm going to be with you. In 16, verse 16, And Jacob awakened out of his sleep, and he said, Surely... The Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid, and he said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning, and he took that stone that he had put for his pillows, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil upon the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. Bethel. But the name of the city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow. Saying, if God will be with me. And will keep me in this way that I go. And will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I can come again into my Father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and all of that thou shalt give me, and I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Jacob was caught in a place of desperation. He was caught in a place of hiding. 
He was caught in the place of rejection and he was caught in the place of bitterness. He no longer was living in the tent with a bed and a fire to keep him warm. He no longer could wake up to the smell of eggs and bacon and waffles. Can I get an amen? Amen. And cinnamon rolls and cathead biscuits with honey. I miss my grandma. He no longer wakes up in the protection of his father's house, but now he is alone in a desolate desert with nothing but a stone as a pillow and the wild beast as company. And while Jacob was in the place of desperation and a place of obscurity and a place of uncertainty, God reveals himself in a dream. And as bad as I want to preach on Jacob, the Lord is leading me elsewhere. But know in the time of uncertainty, in the time of doubt and unbelief, in the times of COVID, in in the times of wearing a mask, God shows himself to Jacob. And Jacob vows a vow to God in the midst of a downfall. How many times does it appear That when we're going through a rough patch in life, uh, instead of making vows to God, we're making complaints to God. And even worse, instead of praising God, we curse God. And How many times do we go through trials in our life where we forget where God has brought us through? Where we used to come to church with our head up in the, in the air and we used to come with praise in our spirit and worship in our heart. And all of a sudden, the people, we, we, get, a, uh, we get an attitude of entitlement that, that God owes us something. That God owes us blessings and He, and he owns us uh, all these different things. And we start to tell God in our heart that He should just be grateful for the little praise that I give. That we should just, He should just be grateful for the little worship that I bring. But when it comes to the house of God, or when it comes into entering into the presence of God, a little praise will not cut it. A little worship will not cut it. God wants our best. He does not want our leftovers. And if we want to see our way through a drought, if we want to see our way through perilous times, and when we, if we want to see our way through desolate times, we better begin to pray for rain instead of complain about the heat. God wants us to make some vows tonight that no matter what goes on, or no matter what comes up in life, I will praise Him through it all. I will praise God through it all. I know we're going through difficult times, and I know some states have it worse than others, and restrictions are worse than others, and and I know we have to wear masks, and, and I know we have to stay six feet apart. But imagine what it would be like using a mask as an excuse to God when we get to heaven. God, I didn't praise you because I was wearing a mask. God, I couldn't praise you because I had to stay six feet away from my neighbor. 
Imagine what would have happened if God would have made that excuse about the stone that it was in front of his tomb. Imagine if he said, sorry, I can't save you or be risen because there was a stone covering my tomb. If we want to see revival in our youth groups, we have to make vows to God. If we want to see harvest in our districts, we have to make vows to God. We cannot complain about the size of our church or the size of our district or the lack thereof. But if we want revival in our churches, if we want to see harvest and an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, we must begin to pray for rain. We, we must begin to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost and fire. And Jacob says, if God will be with me and if God will keep me this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and, and put raiment on me so that I can come again into my father's house in peace or I can come into my father's house with praise or, or I can come again into my father's house with joy and with love and with victory and with boldness, then shall the Lord be my God. And that vow that Jacob made would end up being the saving grace for the patriarch of Israel. And you would be surprised by how many vows have saved the ministry and the lives of many preachers all across the nation. You see, according to Webster's Dictionary, a vow is a solemn promise made. It is a solemn declaration unto the Lord. And we've got to make some promises tonight. Before we leave, we've got to make some vows to God. Now, I don't care how far you've gone. I don't care what kind of sin you indulged in last year, last week, last night, or even today. You have not gone too far from God. You have not gone too far from God that He can't fix you and put your life back together. You've not gone too far from God to pick you up and to dust you off. There's a God that made a vow that every man will have the chance to drink of the waters of life freely. Before we leave tonight, there are some vows that we must make. There are some things that we got to let go of. There are some thoughts that got to be cleared up. And there's some promises that we have to make to God. There are some chains that have been trying to choke the child of God out. There are some, there are some strongholds that have tried to tell you that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy enough, that you don't come from the right family or the, the right background or you don't have the last name or you don't have the right talents or you don't have the right musical abilities. We've got to break through those chains tonight. We've got to break through some shackles tonight. You are called. You are chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You are a peculiar people. You are a chosen generation. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we find another example of a vow made before God. Jacob vowed a vow in the time of uncertainty. And Hannah, as we will soon find out, vows a vow in the time of need.
in a time of desperation. And I've quickly realized that making vows to God don't usually happen when we're on top of the world. But they come when your back is up against the wall. 1 Samuel chapter 1 says, Now there was a certain man out of a really big word. Ram, Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerom, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, the son of the, uh, who was an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. And the name of the one was Hannah. And the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Hannah had no future. Hannah had no purpose. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkna offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all of her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah, the one that had no future, the one that could not bear children, the one who had a barren womb, the one that had no hope, it says that he gave unto Hannah a worthy portion. For he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. It is important to note that there are customs in the Middle East that, that the host of the feast would place before his beloved or distinguished guest a worthy portion. He gave his guest a worthy portion and showed them great regard or great value in the side of all of his guests. And Elkna, he wanted to distinguish Hannah above all others. It was his desire to prove his special love for Hannah, even if she was unable to bear him children, or even if she didn't have a purpose. You see, one thing, if you don't get anything else out of this word tonight, if I could leave off with you just one word, it would be, you are worth the double portion. You are worth the worthy portion. Elkanah offered great sacrifice for Hannah. He grabbed the best of the best of the sacrifices. He, he got the lamb that was right out of its mother. Perfect. No flaws. And he made that sacrifice for Hannah and gave her the worthy portion. But we have to remember that we were given the greatest sacrifice that any person could ever get. And that was Christ on the cross. Even if you don't see it. Even if you don't feel it. Even if you don't believe it. You are worth the double portion. You are worth the worthy portion. And Hannah's adversary, she provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. You see, it's often 
that we will find in times of desperation and in, in times of need and in times where we need answers, there will always be an adversary to provoke you. And I tell many people my age, many of the younger kids in our church and people that are older than me, that the reason why the enemy always seems to attack you or when the adversary constantly provokes you, it's simply because you are worth it. I want you to think about that for just a second. The devil only attacks the people who he think are worth it. He only attacks the people that have a future in God. He attacks the people that are worth it. It's funny that it seems like those living in the world never seem to have any struggle. It seems like they are never battling an adversary. And young people, I understand you know this more than anybody else, that when you go to school, the cool thing to do is obviously not to go to church. The cool thing to do is to go to parties or, or to hang out with friends or, or to take up substances that are not good for you. And it seems like your friends in school, it seems like their life is a lot more fun. And I don't even know if y'all are back in school yet, if you guys are doing online school. It, it varies state to state. But it seems, why does it always seem that way? Why, why does it always seem like your friends are having the time of their life? You know, they're always posting on social media and Instagram and Facebook pictures with them and their friends. And it, and it looks like they're having a good time. And there you are on a Wednesday night or on a Friday night or on a, on a weekend at church. And your friends are out there hanging out and having a good time, and it seems like their life is perfect, and it, it seems like they got nothing wrong, but, oh, man, I got to go to church. It's Sunday, or, man, I, I got to go to sleep because we got church in the morning. Why does it always seem that way? The only way, I, the only reason I can really explain that to you is, is simply because they've already lost their battle. They, they've, they've already gave in. And the reason why you're constantly always attacked or the reason why you, you constantly have a, an adversary that is provoking you is because you haven't lost. I, I, I don't need a hand clap. But God needs a hand clap because God has saved many of people in this place from a lot of dangerous situations. God has saved a lot of people from addictions and God has saved many people from car accidents and, and God has saved many people and has preserved our life. But you haven't lost your battle yet. If you're in this building tonight, I've come to tell you, you haven't lost your battle yet. Don't let anybody fool you. Living in the world, indulging in worldly activity, activities compares nothing to what you feel in the presence of God. I've never been high, but I've had friends who were and, and friends who have. And they say, there's no better high than the high you get from the joy of the Lord. I've never been drunk, but those who have tell me there's no better feeling than being drunk in the Holy Ghost. 
Don't let the devil fool you. If you're constantly fighting battles, it's because you haven't lost. If, if you're constantly fighting the enemy, it's because he doesn't have you. If you're always under attack from the spirits of the world, it, it's because you're worth it. And there's no better joy that the devil gets uh, than from snatching a child of God away from the church. Don't let the world fool you. Don't let the adversary fool you. If you're playing hide and seek from God, I would stop and ask yourself a question. Are moments of pleasure, are moments of pleasure worth eternity in a place where there's gnashing of teeth? Is moments of pleasure is that one click on your cell phone? Is that one website you go to in the middle of the night worth eternity in a place where there's no joy? In a place where there's no light? In a place where there is no redemption, no saving grace, no blood? Don't let the adversary rule you because there's an advocate that owns you. And as he did so year by year in verse 7 of 1 Samuel, she went up to the house of the Lord. So she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. And I would come, I remember many a times being so attacked by the enemy it felt like. I felt just like Hannah in this story. Hannah was so beat down and she was so defeated by her adversary that she drove her to literal eating disorders. She, she would not eat. She would starve herself because the devil had her so messed up in the mind. He, the, the, her adversary constantly provoked her. I got children, but you don't. She was so defeated. So beat down, she wept and she cried and she pretended to be someone she wasn't. She was loved. She was desired after. She was given the worthy portion. But she was so beat down and, and so confused and the enemy had her mind in so many different places that she forgot who she was. She was given the worthy portion. Don't you see the resemblance here? How, how many times are we going to forget who we are? We are bought with the blood of Christ. How many times are we going to be beat down and demoralized that we forget the portion that was given to us was given to us on the cross? Child, the children of God, they are not designed to be depressed. Children of God are not designed to be full of fear. They are not designed to be full of doubt. They are not designed to be full of anxiety. They are not designed without purpose. You are not designed with suicidal thoughts. You are not designed with depression. 
You were designed to be a worshiper of God. You were designed with love. You were designed with compassion. You were designed as the bride of Christ. And there are many spirits that are attached to especially the season that we're going through. Spirits of depression. Spirits of suicidal thoughts. Spirits of perversion. These are spirits that are attached with the pandemic that we are going through. Spirit of fornication. Spirit of adultery. Spirit of idolatry. All of these spirits are attached to the season that we are going through right now. But I've come this week against any spirit of depression. I come against any spirit that tells you you're not good enough. There are some unbreakable vows that we must make tonight. And it begins when you make a plead of desperation. That sounds weird. Why would I ever get desperate? But if it's any time to get desperate for a move of God. If it's any time to be desperate for a life-changing experience. It's a, the times are now. The times are now when we need to make pleads of desperation that I don't want to be the same anymore. I, I don't want to think these thoughts anymore. I, I don't want to live this way anymore. I remember finding myself so lost without God. I was desperate. I was lonely. I was battling depression. And the sad part about it all is that no one knew it. No one knew the thoughts that I was thinking. No one knew the spirits that I was battling. I went to church and I put on a smile that faked out everybody. I came to church with such a big smile, you could see it through my mask, and it fooled everybody. I, I put on my best mask every morning. Now, I'm not talking about the ones that we I'm talking about a spiritual mask. I put on a spiritual mask every morning before I left the room. But under that mask was a man who forgot his purpose. Underneath that mask was a young guy that was battling depression. I, and I've never, ever battled depression before. I was, I, I've always been upbeat. I've always been happy. My, the, the bishop at our church, he don't, he don't allow us to be depressed. He, he demands that we put a smile on church. He won't start church unless he sees everyone smile. But I was so, I was so depressed, so lonely, so lost. Forgot my purpose in life. I knew I was called, I knew I was called by God, but, but I didn't feel it anymore. I would come to church. I would dance for God. I would worship God. I would run the aisles. And I looked so perfect in the eyes of my church. But when I went home, I would find myself in my bed weeping. And it seemed like I was fighting my battle all on my own. If I cried out for help, no one would have even believed me. So I didn't. If I told people what I was going through, they wouldn't believe me, so I didn't. So I stopped confiding in my youth. 
I stopped confiding in my men of God, and I decided that I would fight these battles all by myself. After all, I got the Holy Ghost. I'm baptized in Jesus' name. I got the power. I can fight these battles all by myself. And I battled this, and I literally went through such a depression, such a... I've never been suicidal, and I praise God for that, but it was close. I, I began to break down. I would go into my room and, and, and shut my door, and, and, and my parents, I, I wouldn't come out and hang out with the family. But I would put on that best mask every time I would walk out of that room. I would, I would walk out with a smile, but inside there was a frown. I, I would go to church with praise, but when I got to my room, I, I had a just an evil, cursing spirit about me. God, why would you allow me to go through this? And I battled this every day for five or six months. And in the middle of the darkest season that I've ever been in, God was sending me revival. In the middle of a season where I felt so lost, I, I literally felt so backslidden. I, I, felt, I felt so forsaken, so hopeless. <laughs> I would come to church, and God would literally give me revival. I was having revival everywhere that I went. I was winning souls for God. My bus route was growing uh, through it all, through it all. For five months, it felt as if the voice of God was silent. I felt like I was unable to literally, I, I wasn't able to hear the voice of God. It's a scary place to be when the voice of God is silent in your life. It, it's a scary place to be when you try to come to church and you can't feel His presence. It's a scary place to be to come to church and and feel cold and, and dead. And I would cry out to God, but He was silent. You see, five months, it doesn't sound like a long time, but when you teach Sunday school and when you preach and, and when you teach Bible studies, you are dependent on hearing the voice of God. But for five long months, I battled a spirit that made the voice of God so blurry, so silent. I couldn't hear from the person that I leaned on the most. I found myself coming up to the church in the middle of the week. I would come in a dark sanctuary and I would cry out to God. I was desperate to hear from the voice of God. I did not want to feel the way I was feeling no more. I, I couldn't stand another night with the thoughts that were going through my mind. And I'd come to church in the middle of the week, in the middle of the night, and any chance I could get, I would cry out to God and plead out of desperation. But He was silent for five long months. When I went to the church, I'd pray in that dark sanctuary, and we have a, a fairly large sanctuary. It was just me. I'd find myself crying out to God, weeping, asking God for help. And the only thing that could hear me was the four walls that the church had and probably the church mice. 
they were the only things that could hear me, I felt like. And I got so desperate during that time of prayer that I went back to the back of the church. I, I found my, I used to pray in the altar. And I just wanted to try something new. So I went to the very back of the church in between two pews. And I got on my knees and I began to cry out to God. In the middle of that, that moment of brokenness, in that moment of silence, in that moment of loneliness, I had a breakthrough. I, I had a breakthrough with God. But before I could ever have a breakthrough, I had to make up in my mind that I wasn't going to leave until I heard the voice of God. I wasn't leaving that church the same, and I had my mind made up that I was no longer going to be victim to this world. I was no longer going to be victim to this isolation and, and to this, this, this dark depression that I was going through. So in between those two pews in the back of that sanctuary, I built myself an altar. And on that altar, I remember a vow that I made to God. God, if you will deliver me from this situation... God, if you will allow me to make it through this season of depression, God, if you will allow me to make it through these evil thoughts, then, then I, I will serve you all the days of my life. I, I will do what you want me to do. I, I'll sacrifice what I have to. In the time of that desperation, God heard my prayer and I had the breakthrough in the middle of the two pews. What am I saying? I'm saying, don't you dare give up. Don't you dare give in. There is a promise waiting for you on the other side of that breakthrough. There is a promise waiting for you on the other side of that desperate prayer. There's a God waiting for you. There's a youth group waiting for you. But the question is, uh, what vows will we make for God? And I'm getting ready to close. I, I'm not going to be preaching very long tonight. It's going to be a simple word. But we've got to make some vows to God. In verse number 8 of 1 Samuel, it says, Then said Elkanah to her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. And, and now Eli the priest sat upon the seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul. And she prayed unto the Lord and she wept sore. In verse 11, after everything that she had been through, she makes a bold declaration to God. And she says, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, 
if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. Hannah was so hungry for God. She, she was so desperate for that baby that she was willing to make a vow to God. That if God gives her a child, then she will give it right back to God. She was willing to do anything. She was willing to do anything. She, she was willing to do anything. God is not looking for someone who has the most talents or has the most skills, but God is simply looking for somebody that's willing to make a vow to Him. God will drive you to lonely places. He, he will push you to loneliness. He, he will push you through a valley. It, it's not always the devil that's pushing you to that state of loneliness. It's not always the devil that sends these, these seasons of, uh, of dry and desolate places. But sometimes God will send you these seasons so that you will make a vow to God. God will push you to a place where the only way you can make it out is by making a vow to God. Hannah begins interceding before God. And Eli, her master, he thinks that she's drunk. But she wasn't drunk of strong drink. But she was drunk in the Holy Ghost. And she poured out her soul before the Lord. And Eli answered her and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition. And the musicians, you may come if that's what you do. But in the next morning, she, worked, she worshipped the Lord. And the Lord remembered her, and she bared a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And there are some young people here tonight that have got to get desperate before God. You've got to get desperate before the Lord. You've, you've got to pray some prayers that you've never prayed before you got to get to a place where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. you got to get to a place where you're tired of the thoughts that are constantly running into your mind and are constantly taking over your life. And You've got to pray some prayers of desperation that if God will be with you and He shall be with you, then we shall serve Him all the days of our life. God is looking for somebody that is weary, that is tired, that is ready for change in their life, that, that is ready to do something for God. He's looking for a young person that's tired of feeling the way that they're feeling. That when you go to your bedroom at night and when you close that door, there's somebody that has been crying an awful lot. There's been somebody that's been thinking some thoughts that they've never thought before. And tonight, before we leave, we're going to declare victory over some thoughts that you've been thinking that you're not good enough, 
that there's no one that loves you, that, that you'll never be good enough to serve God, that you'll never be good enough to be called to the ministry. And I know there's some young men and some young women that feel called to the ministry. But they don't feel they have what it takes. They feel like their age matters. They feel like their last name matters. They they feel like where they come from matters. But I've come to declare that the District of Maine is getting ready to experience a revival that the District of Maine has never experienced before. And that's going to come from when the youth make up their mind that, God, I'm hungry for you. God, I'm desperate for you. The young people, if you will stand for just a moment, there's some anointings that God wants to place over your life, but you got to get over that attitude of that you're not good enough. God doesn't only use men in the ministry. He uses young ladies too. The greatest revival that's happening right now in this world is led by women. The greatest revival that is happening right now is being led by women. And there are some young girls and some young boys and some some teenagers. You feel called to the ministry. You feel like God has something greater for you, but you just don't know what it is. If you will make a vow tonight before God, if you will get past embarrassment, you don't, you don't have to look at anybody around you. But if you will find a place at the altar and you will make some vows before God, and you will get desperate before God. And you will say, God, I'm willing to do anything. Just call me. God, I'm willing to do anything. Just call me. You might have been praying some prayers. and You might have been praying lately. You may feel like God hasn't heard your prayers. But hear me. God has heard every single prayer that you've been praying. He has seen every tear that you have cried. He has seen every thought that has come through your mind. God, I'm desperate for you. God, I'm in need of you. God, I know I can't go any further. God, I've ran out of energy. I've ran out of strength. God, I can't go another step. God, I just don't feel, I don't feel the same. God, I'm tired. God, I'm lonely. God, I'm battling all these different things. But God, if, if you will hear my prayer tonight, if If you will hear me from heaven, I I will make a vow before you that no matter where I go, no no matter what I do, I, I will serve you. God, I will praise you. God, I can't go.
go another step thinking these thoughts if the elders of the church would stand and would lift your hands toward the young people of this church this word might be for some of the elder folks here too God, I feel called to the ministry. I, I, feel, I feel called, but I don't know where to go. God, I feel called to do music. I, I feel called to preach. I, I feel called to win souls. But God, I'm tired. God, I'm lonely. God, I need you. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. God, I invoke the Spirit of Jehovah. God, to come into this place tonight that you would, God, that you would make whole some broken people. Oh, God, you see some broken vessels. You, you see some, some tired vessels. And, but God, I'm getting my strength tonight. I'm making some vows tonight. I will do what you want me to do. I, I, will, I, will, I will pray for the people you want me to pray for. I, I'll talk to my friends that you need me to talk to. God, I'm ready for change. I don't want to be the same anymore. Young people, if you will cry out to God, if you will cry out to God like you never have before, there are some promises that He wants to fulfill in your life. There's some barriers you must break through. There's some weariness you got to break through. There's some thoughts you got to break through. God, hear our prayers tonight. God, hear our prayers tonight. God, hear the prayers of your children tonight. God, hear the prayers of your youth tonight. God, I know there's revival. God, I know there's an outpouring. Oh, God, I need healing in my body. God, my body's in pain. God's come to heal that tonight. God's come to heal you. God's come to put you back together. You can do all.